Welcome, fellow anglers, to the Working Class Fishing Podcast, a place for all anglers, amateur or expert, to share their stories and learn about fishing. Join your hosts, John and Brian, each episode as they debunk the perceived inaccessibility to fishing, break down the barriers of any and all angling methods, and hear stories from other anglers and their own journeys with fishing. Now, let's get this show started. Welcome back to another episode of the Working Class Fishing Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Brian, and here is Mr. John Morris with our sponsors. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Fishing Podcast. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Lid Rig, Use Your Head, Snip Different, Maxon Outfitters, Made by Anglers for People That Fish, Troutlander Nets, Exploration Through Innovation, and our good friends over at Angry Rooster Fly Co. Um, go check out all of our sponsors. They're really great dudes. Um, they'll get you hooked up, get you set up with whatever you're uh, looking to get into. Awesome. Yes. And do go check out our great sponsors. Uh, they're fantastic guys. They love to hear from all of our listeners every time they get an order. Uh, they're, they're definitely willing to help you guys out. So make sure you check them out. So getting on to the topic of the day. Today, we have a very special guest here. He's well known in the fly world. And uh, he, he, he's a part of this trifecta of folks that we've had on the podcast thus far. And, and the cool part is, is that we reached out, we got our schedules lined up, we got all the good stuff going, and we are honored to have Mr. J.P. Ross uh, of J.P. Ross Fly Co. on our podcast tonight, and we want to give him a warm welcome, say thank you for being on here, uh, and, and we're really excited to talk to you. Thanks, Brian. Jonathan, I appreciate it, and I'm excited to be on here with you guys, too. Yeah, uh, you know, this has been a long time coming because... Uh, you know, well, obviously, we'll probably get into some of the other things here because we were kind of talking about that and everything else. Uh, but prior to this podcast, uh, before we were recording, we were just having some really significantly deep conversations. But I always like to start out because we have we have such a broad array of listeners that are, uh, you know, maybe they're not familiar with the folks that we have on. John and I really uh, pride ourselves on trying to uh, get to know our guests before they come on, at least do a little bit of research, but actually make more of the formal meeting here in person. But can you tell everybody just a little bit about yourself, uh, where you're from, what you're doing, your company, and uh, we'll kind of step off into the 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 realm of uh, fishing. Sure. I'll tell you a little bit about my about myself. So I'm a guy that's going to be on your podcast that is going to start to get into the real deep discussion about why we fish. That's that's who I am. And and what I do on the sideline is I make fishing rods. I make I used to not I used to really be really upset when people would call them fishing poles because there was like this joke that, you know, what's the difference between a fly rod and a fishing pole? And the answer was, you know, about three hundred dollars. And uh, and now I think it's kind of funny to think that I make fishing poles, but I make um, I have a company, I should say, that makes tools that haunt people to use them and and get outside and and go fish and generally the rods are small are 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 made for small stream fly fishing but but brian and john we started talking a little bit about you know why fishing matters and some of the drama about people going into fly shops and and some of that uh that horse shit that you guys apparently know a little bit more about than i do because i had a fly shop by the way many years ago i started this 20 years ago and um, let's dig into this. You, Brian, you talked about people going into shops and been being judged on the equipment they were going to buy. What's that all about? Well, you know, uh, and, and we've talked about this before. So, you know, there's something to be said about when you can afford it, right? So you work, you save your money, and you can go in and you can get something nice after you save your money. But let's say that you really don't know if you're going to be into fly fishing all the way. Maybe you took a guided trip, maybe you did something like that. And so inherently, when you go into a fly shop, you would expect that maybe they have something that's going to cater to the beginner, uh, that, that's going to get the person on the water. Is it going to be cheap? 
not necessarily cheap in the way of like Walmart cheap or Academy Sports cheap or whatever else, but it's going to be something in a reasonable price range because typically fly anglers have already got some experience with conventional fishing and they've already kind of stepped up the game a little bit. But one of the things that, that I've encountered multiple times, and I understand that there's a business to operate and they need to sell these expensive items in order to keep some of that, that up, is that when you go into a shop and you're like, hey, I got a fly rod at home, I'm ready to step up to something else. It goes from the $150 combo straight up to the $900 combo. And, and we don't have to name brands or anything. It's not the brand's fault. It's, it's the, the marketing behind it. Um, That's it still makes, the brand's fault, by the way. Uh, well, yeah, it's, it's like Nike or Adidas, right? You know, so <laughs> they chose, they chose to, to do that, but yeah, I yeah. hear what you're saying. Yeah. So, um, you know, the, 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 the big thing is, is that when you make that large of a jump, it makes getting into something maybe a little bit more affordable or accessible seem inaccessible. And so then this whole adventure of fly fishing, which I consider fly fishing to be like the ultimate adventure, because it takes you to places and puts you in places that you wouldn't be able to necessarily go without, without, you know, the intention to fly fish, you're going to see beautiful things, you're going to be standing in a river, you're going to see fish passing by you, you're going to be out there, there's birds of prey, it's a very uh, interconnected form of fishing, uh, you know, spiritually and, and uh, you know, figuratively. And it's a technical form of fishing in, in a lot of respects. It doesn't have to be technical, but it can be. Um, that takes that and it, and it blocks out a certain segment of people that maybe don't make enough money to buy that stuff. Or, you know, they're having to pick between I have to repair the transmission on my car or buy this fly rod or I'm, you know, I can't do this, but that it really sections off a, a large group of people from being able to ex be accessible to that. And so that's, that's one of those tenets of, of like the podcast that we do here that we, we talk about a lot. Well, I, so I, it, there's been like this evolution with my company in regards to making fly rods and, and, you know, which fly rods do you make? And, um, and do you go after, um, you know, whatever's biting in the market at the moment. And, and right now, a lot of stuff has to do with, um, warm water fishing and saltwater fishing because I'm quite connected with composites and what's going on out there. And what I'll tell you guys, and I, and I'm curious to like get a discussion going about, um, you know, what matters and, uh, and what is the purpose of angling? Okay. Um, any kind of angling is usually people have a connection to water when they fish and they want to fish and fly fishing is pretty cool because um it it involves a little bit more of the senses because of casting and involving your hands and thinking about casting and stuff like that so when somebody invests in getting into fly fishing they're not only thinking about the investment of gear which you talked about brian which by the way um the true investment is their time and their mental capacity that they invest themselves into being outside and, and trying to fish with this fly rod that they're going to learn from, right? They're going to, they're going to learn how to use this tool. So what ends up happening is when people kind of get into fly fishing, they, they spend a lot of time thinking about how to cast, what fly to use. And, um, that takes up really probably all or more than they have in regards to mental capacity because it's when you're getting started it, it, you're thinking about trying to catch a fish you're judging your accomplishment based on catching a fish mm -hmm. as you get into it more and more you realize that obviously it's not really that much about catching the fish it's about mentally telling yourself that you're going to go fishing Right. And to really enjoy yourself in the outdoors is to allow yourself to be um, absorbed or included in the in the outdoors, because if you haven't tried this, I, su I suggest that you do go into the woods and try to blend into the woods and be very cognizant of the fact of what's going on around you. OK really observe. I call this coherence. Try to be very coherent in regards to what's going on. 
at the same trip on the same trip, I want you to be loud, obnoxious and notice how much less than the woods give to you in regards to the birds and the sounds and all of this stuff. Um, I've got a, I got a good friend of mine that I actually going to have on my podcast. Um, I've already recorded it. I'm putting it together right now. His name is Keith Tidball from Cornell university. And he talked about this visceral experience and how genetically we actually need to be outside. Mm-hmm. And um, some of us realize that we need to be outside and some of us don't. The ones that don't, we actually, Keith and I argue that they don't realize that they need to be outside. And the ones that do, like us, we, you know, we're on a podcast talking about fishing and stuff. The truth is the deeper, the deeper meaning, the deeper discussion about this is we have to go out there. Mm-hmm. And when we don't go out there, there's something missing. And this angling tool, this, this, this fly rod, this, this, this thing, whether it's a fly rod or a bow or a shotgun or a pair of old hiking shoes, they are nothing more than these inanimate things that kind of haunt you to be used to go out into the woods and to transcend into a, a, something that uses your senses that you just cannot experience when you're going into a gas station or a Walmart or, or whatever. They do, these senses in your brain kick in when you're out in the woods and you're out in nature. It just so happens that for us, we like to do it near water. And there is something special about water. Life exists because of water. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I don't mean to like jump right into this and get you, you know, this is, this podcast can be more than just, you know, the working class fishermen. The truth is, is I've got a lot of friends that are farmers and, you know, regular blue collar guys that get hourly checks. And the truth is those are usually the people that I want to be with in the woods. And they, they actually enjoy it a lot more. You know, the richer guys tend to kind of look at the ultimate adventure and, you know, how much can they spend to kind of go have this really great thing? Don't get me wrong. I, I got a lot of friends that are very well off that get it also, but I would say the majority are the ones that realize they don't have to pay that much to realize what life is all about and what life is all about in regards to making them feel happy is getting outside and having this visceral experience where their senses are enhanced and they're out in nature and they're feeling like something is filling their tank and they don't know what it is, but it feels really good. So who am I? I'm, I'm a guy that makes these fly rods for people to go fishing small streams. The reason I do it, my purpose, is for what I just told you, to help people experience those feelings. Is that good? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome, dude. Man, so, so oh, go ahead. No, I just was going to say, I was curious to get your opinions, you know, like, so no, why I, is I, why is it important? You know why why do we do it? You know it's not to stick, it's not to grab a fish by the lip. It's not. No, I, you know I, I I think in the beginning it, it is about grabbing that fish by the lip. You know it's it's that um, gratification. It's that it's the reward at the end of that hunt that you've been searching for. And then you know it's that old adage that everyone says. You know when you start fishing, it's about catching a fish and then it's about catching a big fish and then it's about catching a lot of fish and then it stops being about the fish completely and uh, I think there's a lot of truth to that you know me, me personally um, the water is, is just calming it's very calming for me I, I have PTSD and there's something about uh, fly fishing and specifically that uh, just helps me out dude like it's is incredibly therapeutic. It's calming. Um, just takes everything away. And it's just me and a bunch of shitty casts and trying to catch this fish or looking at these otters and then watching this eagle, you know, like slug mm-hmm. this 14 inch rainbow. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you, you, you use, you explain your cast by being shitty cast, but that doesn't matter either, you know? And by the way, you know, John, you, you, 
you experience something that a lot of people also experience and don't realize that they experience with PTSD, you know, and the white noise, I will tell you that the white noise of water and the white noise of rattling leaves, I think takes us back to, to being children. You know, my, my kids both fall asleep when, you know, and I probably, I'll just say this, I'll probably get in trouble, but like I buckle my kids in with me and take them on the zero turn lawnmower. My kids, when they were young, constantly fell asleep on the lawnmower with earphone with ear earphones on yeah. that white noise. Right. The kids mm -hmm. sleep. You're on the river. You got this white noise going on or, or the or the rattling leaves. But I would say the more consistent white noise of the river takes you back mentally. There's stuff that happens in your brain, John, that takes you back to um, being an infant that I believe is extremely calming. And a lot of people really associate with that and really appreciate that. Doesn't matter what kind of fishing pole you're, you're holding on to. A lot of people walk in the woods with a rifle, man, and never shoot a bullet. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just they, they say they're going to go hunting, but they're really going for a walk in the woods to find peace. Right. Well, and so, I think yeah. You know, so, the thing, you know, when we're talking about like the catalyst of, of, uh, what gets us out, you know, yeah, we talk about that whole idea of just being there because that, you know, what took you outside in the first place? Well, I got sick of being inside, you know, or, uh, I just can't hold still, you know, the, it, the, the outdoors can be therapeutic in a lot of different ways. And it's, it's cool because, for John, it's, it's, it's something of a therapy for PTSD. For some people, it's a stress therapy for, you know, they've, they've done countless studies on outdoor therapy of, uh, that that's mm -hmm. really done a lot for people and it heals people and it, and it makes a huge difference in their life Yeah, yeah. because, you know, you can't just pile <clears throat> pills on somebody and, and, you know, just have talk therapy and all that. Sometimes you actually have to for somebody that's autistic, let's say, you know, if they have a manipulative that they can hyperfixate with, they oftentimes take onto that and they're very successful with that manipulative, you know, something in mm -hmm. their hands. It, it's calming. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and in a lot of cases, uh, uh, kids with ADHD, hyperactivity, you know, a lot of times they're shunned because it's like, well, they're going to break this or they're going to do this or they're going to be obnoxious. But as soon as you give them a catalyst to, to hyperfixate on and it's something positive, They'll, they'll usually grasp yeah. onto it and, they're, yep. and and they love it. And that's when they're like at their best. We're not trying to modify behavior. We're just trying to tell people like, Hey, you know what? You seem to really enjoy this and you feel good about yourself. Right. Right. There's, you know, there's so much we can, we can get into on this whole thing. And I know, you know, you guys had me on here cause I'm a rod builder and stuff and, and have this fly rod company and everything. But, you know, when I think about like what you guys are doing, in regards to people that are thumbing through a podcast, right? And and they're going to see the working class thing and they're going to listen to it. And maybe they'll listen to this one podcast and it will make them think about getting outside more and the and the reason to do it. And um there are other things involved with with fishing that I have found that that people should be cognizant of if just like you're talking about with somebody that's autistic. OK, if there are parents out there that have an autistic child, there are things you could do with them, like flip over rocks. OK, and start and start obsessing about insects. My guess is they're probably going to get pretty obsessed with it also in a good way. You know, birds identifying bird songs. And identifying birds along the river, because usually that the ecosystem is very diverse in regards to birds and stuff. And you can start hearing them and you start hearing how they act differently when they hear a human and stuff like that. A lot of that is is very rewarding in regards to hearing a bird start to talk to other birds because they see a human, you know, watching the ecosystem change because you're in an area that's full of conifers. And then the, and then there's an elevation drop and there's some waterfalls and all of a sudden now, boom, you're into this other section, you know, where the ecosystems change, all of those things that you're aware of happen near rivers. And, and there's just so much that people can learn from this. And this is one of the bigger things that I'm trying to touch upon with my podcast and touch upon with people is there's also this thing. And I, and I'd like you guys to give me your opinion on this is 
you can love nature to death. And with COVID and stuff like that, the, the short-term exposure to the woods was very, very utilized. In our area, up in the Adirondacks, we have this area called the High Peaks. And there's this um, sense of accomplishment to try to climb one of these 46 peaks in the Adirondacks. Well, they got trashed. They got like fucking trashed during COVID mm-hmm. because everybody was going up there to do it. Now, meanwhile, all these other these other trails and stuff um, actually weren't utilized that much. But if you consider the experience of what we're talking about, if you're cognizant and coherent of like trying to get outside because of media and the influence of media and the influence of of, you know, you got to go do you got to go do these 46 peaks because that's if you Google it in New York, that's mostly, that was a lot of stuff that you found was, you know, you're going to go up to the high peaks region and it got, it got like totally consumed the sense of adventure, the sense of going to go down a dirt road and try to find this stuff and go seek something yourself is still not um, something that people do in general. And I don't know if you guys have experienced this in your area. Mm -hmm. I'd like you to talk about that because it seems to me that the places that normally get activity are just getting a lot more activity. Mm-hmm. And there's also this shock wave of like, I call it about a mile. If you go to about, if, if you go a half a mile in and then you start observing from a half a mile to a mile, you'll begin to see the remnants of use greatly decrease. And when you get to about a mile, that's about the dissipation of this shock wave of activity. Cause a lot of people won't really spend that much time to go that far. Then you get to a mile and you go to a mile and a half, you go to two miles and it gets wild. And when you get the, and when you get the guts to go that far, the whole experience changes, totally changes. Oh, what do you, they, sorry. Go ahead. I want to hear about it. I want to hear. I'll do, I, was, I was just going to, I mean, with that sentiment there, literally if you go to every access and water access is, I mean, it's pretty limited here in Texas, to be to be honest. And but you go to any access and it is just trashed. Absolutely trashed. It doesn't matter where you are. Like there's but the further down the river you get, just like you're saying, it just disappears. It's just the river again. And then, you know, like the trout. Go ahead. The shockwave. It is. I mean, that's uh, you, you hit the nail on the head, dude. It's just so many people got this uh interested in the outdoors which is awesome you know fishing sales skyrocketed boat sales skyrocketed mm-hmm. um you know it's just every everything was so hopping for the industry um at face value you know there i mean there were still a lot of impacts um to small businesses and even large businesses as well but it was just everyone's getting outside and doing stuff but you know even on the news um <laughs> uh, when COVID kicked off, I was in Afghanistan. So we kind of got everything like third hand. It wasn't even second hand. It was like, uh, what's actually going on? And you know, it's it was like, yeah, people are camping, but they're leaving their tents. It's like, what do you mean? Here's my buddy. And he's like, Yeah, they're leaving their tents. I was like, no, they're not. They're not leaving their tents at campgrounds. And they were because these people didn't know, or maybe they were just lazy. I don't I don't know if it was ignorance or just being piss poor steward of the environment, but it was just, it was surreal to think that people were doing that. And, you know, the, the Adirondack Fun Police is this kind of like meme page on Instagram. And um, it, they kind of keep up with the news of what's going on around there. And they, there were just some people recently camping um, up on some of the peaks that weren't supposed to be. And uh, like fires and uh, they had a fire and stuff. It was just... I don't know, man. Like I'm all about people getting in and this bountiful nature that we have, but we've got to, we've really got to preserve you it. Got, you got, this has to be talked about because mm-hmm. there's a right way and the wrong way to do it. And I, and I, you know, I, it's, it would, the easy thing to do is to be like, you know, fuck human nature, but you know, we've gone too far, forget it. And you guys know, because you've gone out into the wild, just like Mark and and Pogo have and all these other people, you can still get there. OK, mm-hmm. what I want to do is I wanted to I want to try to 
to expose people to this theory of the shockwave and try to reduce the shockwave. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you guys have experiences with this, but I do in regards to when I was young and I was around outdoors. I'm going to be gender specific. I was around outdoorsmen. Okay. These were, these were guys that I looked at and I was like, man, like they're, I want to be like Ernie, you know, I want to be like Pete Burns. I want, you know, these were guys that I was around. They got to a spot. They would pick up trash. They wouldn't say anything. I would observe like what they would do. The way they would make camp, the way they would cook, the, you know, they wouldn't get up. They wouldn't get freaked out when there was a storm. You know, they would roll with the punches. They had experience. A lot of people have to be around these other stewards, mm-hmm. these other experienced people to know the right way. Because like what John is talking about is true. I think I think there are people that probably thought, well, I'm going to leave my tent because, you know, either they were freaked out or they didn't even know, like, is this thing going to like biodegrade? I mean, is humanity that dumb? I mean, and then and then there's the how do you approach these people? Right. So now you're at the trailhead. And the, the easy thing to do is like somebody like drops their stuff, right? Or they like drink something or whatever. They leave a bunch of shit or whatever. And you're and the easy thing to do is like, hey, asshole. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's not the right thing to do. Right. So now you got to be cognizant because guess what, Brian and John, you guys are like outdoors people. Mm-hmm. You, in my opinion, you guys have, and I do too, we ha- actually have a responsibility to try to expose to people the right thing to do. So you're like, hey, 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 you can't leave that. Like, you got to pick that up, man. You know, like, y- y- and they're like, what? Most of the time I've done this. They're like, wait, what? And you're like, yeah, no, you can't, you know, you can't do that. Like, you got to, you got to pick that up. Yeah. You know, if you. Uh, well, I, I don't mean to cut you off. No, uh, go please. I don't, I'm I'm dominating um, the conversation. My, I apologize. No, no, it's a, you, you're you're the man of the hour, anyway. So that's totally fine. Uh, in the West here, it's very vast. It's huge for people that have never been out here. Uh, go to the East Coast and drive through three or four states in a day, right? Eight hours. And you come out here, you can't even cross the state in twelve. And uh, that that's how big this state is. And you would think that you could find a place that would not have the impact of humans. I've, it, it's uh, unbelievable to me in wilderness areas. And we have some very large wilderness areas here uh, where I have found the impact of people. And I think that, okay, I'll, I'll throw Mount Hood up there. 11,235 feet above sea level. That's the summit, right? It's a big shield volcano in the Cascade Range. I, I see it every day. Um, I was hiking up the glacier, beautiful mountain, just absolutely stunning mountain that when I die, I want part of my remains thrown on that mountain because it's just been there. Um, I walk up the glacier, I'm kicking steps up the glacier and below the chairlift that takes you up to the first landing up to the second landing, I'm going up this glacier and here's nothing but cliff bar wrappers and capri sun wrappers and everything else mind you that these glaciers are melting and they're going directly into the main city water supply and there's and there's shit bags they, they give you blue shit bags because they want you to carry your shit out of the wilderness they don't you know like you you drop trowel and you dump into this bag tie it up just like the dog and you carry it out because they don't want that on those glaciers it's a pristine wilderness and you find these things everywhere. You like take three steps and here's a Capri Sun packet or a Cliff Bar or a, uh, you know, and you're thinking to yourself, these people that climb these mountains, they have invested a lot of time and personal time in, in physical training and mountaineering and wilderness survival and everything else. In all of that time, nobody ever told them like, hey, when you're done eating your cliff bar, or you take a shit, pick, pick it up, up your and shit. carry it. Yeah, pick as up Mark, your own. As Mark Usick says, pick up your yeah. shit. Yeah, pick up your <laughs> shit. What what part of that, you know, it, but it just goes to show it could be in the Adirondacks, the Cascade Mountains. Uh, it could be down in, in John's neck of the woods. Sorry, I don't know anything significant down in Texas, those, but, yeah. you know. Yeah. I well, mean, it, human, so humans react to to um uh 
negativity um unfortunately in today's day and age culturally you know i think we're attracted to it which is a bad thing but um uh, from a discipline standpoint if uh well i'll give you an example the salmon river in new york okay when i started my fly shop people would still snag salmon in the salmon river in new york it was phasing out it was greatly phasing out so this was in 1997 in 2005 i would say if you went up there and you started snagging fish you'd get a pretty bad stink eye the people around you would be like what are you doing like they would kind of discipline you out so to speak you know what i mean mm-hmm. and i think that 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 uh constructively somehow in a good way we have to this has to happen in regards to the the use of the of the outdoors is we got to teach people you know how to use it there's still hope that we could be this organism that actually works in in unison and in unity with you know uh with the earth because we're the only freaking thing on the planet that that is hurting we're not working in in unison, you know, with our environment. All all other organisms have this um, have this relationship where they're usually, in most cases, I'm going to say in general, you know, they're benefiting from each other. Um, and as uh, you know, we've got this over evolved uh, brain, and we just have to change the, our behavior. And I hate to say it, but it's going to come down to the to the people that use the outdoors more often that have to be the ones that start this. And we're the ones that want to bitch about it the most and not do a fucking thing, which yeah. is complain. It's true. A lot of armchair quarterbacking. Yeah. 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 Because I think the inv- I think that the that human nature is going to be a lot better if they use the outdoors. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the truth. And but they got to use it the right way. So, sorry. I mean, we haven't even talked about fly fishing and stuff, but I don't really know if that matters. I mean, we mentioned JP Ross fly rods. You can check out the website if you want to, but um, that's not the point. That's really not. I no. I think we're touching on something a lot deeper here. And I, I think what it is, is that, you know, as we're introducing folks to fishing, which is taking people outdoors you're going to find other things that you can do outdoors but a part of this what anglers do get a bad rap right because uh you just go down to the the local park take your kids down there with a sack of corn to go feed the ducks and you find piles of monofilament and hook wrappers and um you know even hooks hanging out all kinds of crap strung everywhere uh old worm containers everything else because not everybody fly fishes and that's fine um but but there's uh, anglers tend to get the worst wrap because monofilament seems to always get wrapped around some duck or goose or seagull or cormorant you know name name whatever bird that hangs out down on the water its chances of getting tangled up and and fishing line are there and so it's always oh the dirty fishermen they're down there trashing the river or this or that you know um yeah we play at the river but we hold our part too and i think this is an important thing for us to talk about so, I mean, how do we change that? You know, this, this is going to be a learning through, uh, it, it's a behavior modification, right? Sure. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's a total, we can, we can preach all the awareness, like pick up your garbage, you know, pick up your shit, you know, make sure that you keep things cleaned up. But, uh, you know, there's, I've seen things done to try to mitigate it, but it, it's still there. It's like, it's too hard to take two 100 millionths of an ounce of monofilament and carry it up to the garbage can and throw it away. Or in our state, we have monofilament recycling that that, that you got a tube, you stuff it in there and it goes in there. What about, what about for ourselves? You know, people don't realize lead scrap rates, like at two, two bucks a pound or a buck 50 a pound, you know, you, you start picking up those little lead weights that, that people drop all over and maybe they hang up in high water and then you're down in the low water area and pick it up, things like that. You save up enough of those. Well, you could remelt them. You could turn them into jig heads and, or, you know, whatever you want, or you turn them into the scrap yard and go buy yourself more fishing stuff. Well, but have you guys, 
have you guys have any have you had any experience yet with a fishery that has been on decline oh yeah uh, everywhere here in the west everywhere uh salmon and steelhead have you been any place where it has um changed for the better that i okay so i can say i've been on fisheries that have been on the decline and then i've seen ones that have gotten better uh compared to modern historical records so i guess the context of the question would be uh from what we know before to now yeah i guess right, right. uh so i i have seen both yes so i mean that so the, the trend line to get worse is a lot steeper mm -hmm. than the trend line to get better right when you consider the slope right yeah it takes longer for things to rebound although i will tell you i just to give you a sideline thing if you guys go whether it's netflix or whatever david attenborough did a uh a documentary you know he's awesome you know he's mm -hmm. and he did this documentary on covid of how these ecosystems actually um responded from covid and some of them and like uh, one of them that was pretty interesting was in india they could see the himalaya mountains from many towns in india that they never could see before because of covid there were um whale sounds in the ocean that had never been documented before because the whales were making these sounds because they didn't have to actually amplify over the sound of of boats and these were things that were never discovered never even um at least with the whales they were never discovered people in india didn't even know what the himalayas looked like and then all of a sudden they saw them because the skies cleared okay so I don't mean to be like this corny guy to focus on positivity, but like if you can experience the rebound, if we can tell the story about the rebound more often and you can experience that, you probably you might not leave your monofilament. You might not leave your your lead weight. You might not leave your Capri Sun packet, you know, and stuff. The experience of the positive is much more influential than the negative we tend our our brains actually are are wired more to actually to be more in a fight or flight response than we are in in a positive um uh mind frame mm -hmm. it's it's proven that and that's how we survive and the truth is we were like you know i'm gonna i'm gonna hide or try to like kill this saber-toothed tiger with a spear right i mean it was like it wasn't like you know what i'm gonna think things are pretty good and this tiger is not gonna eat me that shit really didn't work you know yeah. but from an evolution standpoint we're still quite young so genetically we still are thinking more negative than we are positive mm -hmm. from a survival standpoint so environmentally i think there needs to be a lot more stories that are positive and a lot more people need to experience you know positivity and stuff it's hard to find you know glaciers receding mm -hmm. you know ocean temperatures increasing corals bleaching it's not hard to find the bad shit but i could tell you up here in in new york with the change in regards to the clean water act and acid rain brook trout fishing is awesome there's a there's a ton of positive stories about what's going on in the adirondacks because of what humans did because of the clean air act and that story is not getting out that much. And there are stories in every state in regards to stuff that people have done. And those things have to be the catalyst to get people behind to change behavior. I think I, I think people are sick and tired of the of the big the big spanking, you know, like don't do this, you know. I think yeah. they need better stories. Yeah. Absolutely. There's there's too much negativity out there. You know, so yeah, John. Well, I was just going to say, <clears throat> uh, just taking a step back and looking towards that, the positives, which is not easy um, to be, you know, there's, there's so much that can be perceived as bad and you, you, oftentimes we'll let that ruin our day, you know, it's, you know, <laughs> as silly as it sounds, you know, like in the in the army it was like master resiliency training it was we used to make this joke you know be the bouncy ball not the egg but uh more and more i think that's probably actually pretty true you know if if we, if we can find more of these positive lights and bring that forward for these people to actually see and experience 
And uh, I think you're right, man. <laughs> I don't think there'd be as much mono on the ground. Well, I mean, look at the stuff that you've been through. I mean, if you, if you, you survived. So if you focused on negative versus positive, I got a feeling that positive, you know, is the reason I'm looking at you. Was it negative or was it positive? It was, uh, it was definitely the positive. Yeah. It's just, it's easy to go negative. And oftentimes the right thing to do is seldom the easiest. Mm-hmm. So I don't know where you guys want to go with this. You want to, you want to sing, well, you know, Kumbaya or we, something? We I, I, sorry. I was, say, I was about to say we could sing <laughs> Kumbaya, but dude, like, so I hit up Mark. Mark? I hit up Mark and I was like, dude, uh, you got any stories about Jordan? And of course, he's got many stories about mm. the Jordan Ross, you know, but he uh, he brought up two. Okay. And uh, I, want, I want to hear your side of them. Wow. Uh, They're really good stories. I probably don't remember them, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> he, um, uh, not to bastardize what Mark says, because Mark is a hell of a writer. Even, even, even in these messages he sent me on his lunch break, I'm just like, wow, you know, just kind of taken back, like, okay. But uh, he, was, uh, he was talking about you and him were, um, this is the first story, you and, you and him were uh, hiking up somewhere. And he, he kept bitching at you because you never brought your rod. He said you always just wanted to take pictures or be on the oars. <laughs> and he, he kept bugging the shit out of you and kind of like busting your balls to bring your rod out there. And he was talking about like the six, six rods. And uh, he was like kind of struggling to cast, you know, this, this 50 foot. And he finally bugged you enough to where you were getting your rod ready. And... Uh, <laughs> And he said, you, you laid out like this, like 70 foot, like beautiful cast. And he's like, all right, you can put the rod up, asshole. You can go back to taking pictures. <laughs> <laughs> so what, you want me to reflect on this? I mean, yeah. I, I yeah. don't. <laughs> Please do. Okay. Well, Mark doesn't, Mark at the time, I think he realizes now, Mark at the time didn't realize how much I really love spending time with him, no matter how how I'm spending time with him. So he was, he thought that my justification of my time was bringing a rod with me and fishing with him. And I'm sure he's going to listen to this podcast. And, and I've told him many times, most of the time, we just were joking the other day about how we, we actually, our true selves are our drunk selves and how every time I get drunk, I end up crying and telling him how much I love him. So, you know, (laughs) whatever that is what it is, but Mark didn't realize how at the time, he does now how much I really just like to be outside. And I guess that kind of was the moment where I was a little bit kind of like, uh, you know, he ultimately told me to go fuck myself, but I told him <laughs> to go fuck himself by throwing him. I don't think it was seven. I don't think it was 70 foot. I think he over embellished, but it was, I remember I cast it farther than he did. And that doesn't really matter. And by the way, I have seen him, improve over the years he's actually a really really terrific caster um but the point is is uh i i guess i realized then that i just wanted to be out there and uh he didn't get it but he does get it now because we go out all the time and i'm filming and doing stuff or whatever but I schooled him the other day on the Black River, though. I totally schooled him. <laughs> I, I caught a whole bunch of I caught a whole bunch of rainbows on dry flies, and he admitted, and he's going to do a story on it. He just was too. He admitted he was too lazy that he just didn't want to tie another knot and put on a dry fly. But whatever, that is what it is. So, <laughs> force feeding streamers. That, yeah. That, yeah. That, I think that was the context of yeah, one of our conversation. So, so that was a story, John. Is, there, is that it? Is there anything else? I got a there's, lot. Of- so there's a there's another one. And uh, this was like the maiden voyage. You and him were canoeing up in the Adirondacks. And there's this 10 foot six rod oh, yeah. that he was like, why the fuck is there oh, a 10 foot six rod off for this small stream? Mm-hmm. But that's uh, go, ahead, go ahead. No. Yeah. So that was the Aswagachi trip that we did yeah we call it we call it the gotch and um 
and that was that will i don't think and until i get dementia i won't i won't forget it we mark can tell you in more detail i believe we floated 30 miles in three days and as the crow flies we went five miles so like this thing was really snaking around a lot so as a rod builder and thinking about applications and stuff like that i was pretty sure that we were going to have alders and and we're going to be in the canoe and we needed something that was going to be essentially adapting adapting rod and so i came up with this 10 and a half foot um four weight rod which is now called the peacemaker and um and we use that rod so he he was like um the rod the the river wasn't very wide so it makes sense that you'd be like what the hell are, what, what are we doing with this thing but the truth is is when you got into the into the application of of canoeing it and stuff they're just they you needed to be able to back ass really high and and it was it was really great and mark wrote about it too that i remember that he got he got into the canoe and i had it and i had the rod and i put my oar on it and i know that i cracked it and then <laughs> he cast it and the thing just doubled over like a like a broken stick and i looked at him like tommy boy and was like what'd you do you know <laughs> And he's like, I didn't do it. And I'm like, yeah, I know I did it. But anyway, I fixed it. And he has that rod and he has another one because the original Peacemaker was like a like a blue color. Now it's a now it's like a ribbed gray color, like the original Orvis Superfine. Mm -hmm. And uh, and the point of the whole thing, I mean, was. You know, you, you know, we I make these rods and and stuff, and I really think really hard about the application and how it's going to enhance the angler's experience. Um, because the truth is, is like, if you take a glass rod out on a windy day and you're trying to throw like a big fly, it sucks. It's not, it's not right. It's just not the right thing. You know, you, you want to, you know, a graphite six weight, you know, and, but then again, you take your nine foot six weight, you go on a small stream to try to catch a little small fish. And you're like, this sucks. I wish I had a six and a half foot glass rod. Well, you know, we make those too. So we try to very clearly convey to people what are they trying to accomplish and what do they want to feel? And most of the time people, I, I would say 90% of the time people that buy JP Ross rods are trying to go outside on a small stream and enjoy catching a small wild fish, whether it's a red eye or, a, or, a, or a, a cutthroat or, or whatever. You know, uh, brook trout, they just want to have this great experience. And, and there's a, still a lot of wildness to small streams in the world. Mm -hmm. You know, so we cater to that. So what's your favorite kind of, I mean, I, I think it's, it's a little clear now, but is small stream fishing your favorite? Like if you had to oh. pick one, one fishing for the rest of your life, is it small streams <laughs> for brookies? Oh. Um. I would, I mean, people ask me like what my favorite beer is and I say free beer and then cold beer. <laughs> uh, what's my favorite fishing? I would say any kind of, I would say any kind of adventure fishing. Yeah. That's where I can see the other side of the river. Um, I do like to boat though. I will tell you, and Mark knows this. I love to row a boat. It's, it's tough, John. I don't know. I, it probably would be small stream fishing if it was like my last trip before, you know, they were going to put a needle in me probably would yeah. be a small stream trip, but I do love floating a river and being behind the oars. You know, the you row that's, that's, uh, that has a lot of connection to me because I do too. And a lot of people, um, I, I hear a lot of people gripe about rowing, right? Because we have big rivers, high discharge every day. Oh, I don't want to row. I want to fish, you know. But there is something about like when you just go out there and you're and you're feeling the flow of the river, and and you're seeing this this braid and this and and a tail out coming up, and you're just kind of like, all right, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna slow down right here because you know the fish are holding in that tail out. And you're just backing down real slow and you're watching the lines and everything else. 
for whatever reason in my in my mind i find it more fascinating to control the boat and watch the line action than actually being fishing because it's like you're you're doing like this dance between you and the person fishing especially when you're like uh using uh like a side drifting technique or uh you know mm-hmm. we 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 bobber dog it's yeah. just fascinating because yeah, i'm yeah. watching both of the rods and i see the floats out there and you see the line going down and you're just like padding your skill because it's like all right everybody hold still just run this and let's do this and you're like rowing and it, i don't know what it is but no, also I just, agree. Just, I... just feeling like the raw power of the river under you like you you realize how insignificant you are when you have that river underneath you i i have a feeling that being a pilot is similar to rowing a boat uh, you know i'd love to be i'd love to to fly a plane and i got a feeling that it's it's similar because of what you're talking about you know, mm-hmm. you've got this natural environment that you're somewhat manipulating. You have to move at the pace that it's giving you, you know, you know what it's like when you when you yeah. screw up and now you got to backpedal real hard because you just screwed up, you know, like, you know, because the natural environment yeah. was like, that was a bad move, Brian, you know. You I missed... got some marks in my boat from that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure that the same thing happens with, with um, people that are pilots that they can tell you that, you know, I sail too. I, you know, I, I used to, I used to competitively sail and now I'm starting to sail again. Um, cause I want to get my kids out there and, you know, watching the dark water come in and hit your sail and stuff is a really, really interesting experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have to know, you have to know what that means when you see the, you see a gust coming through and you're pretty sure it's going to, you know, you got to be ready for it. Um, all of these manipulations or, um, or uses of, of the natural environment, I think, again, they're very visceral. Mm-hmm. They're awesome. You know, they're really, and, and don't get me wrong. I like, you know, Mark too. Mark likes cars. I like cars, you know, my son likes cars, but that's, that's like, you know, that's like, uh, you know, Tim, the tool man kind of, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got horsepower, oh, 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 you know? Oh, 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 yeah. 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 I'm gonna, and, and, and that's cool too. But when yeah. you're manipulating the natural environment, uh, that's, it's it's a different experience so i agree with you floating is cool and well uh i guess we're, we're coming, coming on e- coming yeah, on the end here huh yeah we are coming on the hour as much as i don't want to end it you know uh for, it's for okay. the formality sake we we always like to give it an hour i think what what an incredible conversation we've had and and it doesn't even matter to me that it isn't about like flipping baits under a dock or, you know, something like that. I think that we talked about something a lot more personal and deeper. And I think it's important for people to realize that, that this is, we do this for more than just the gear for more than just the, um, you know, the, this, this social media prestige and all that. I, I, you know, I love all of our followers. I love all of our listeners, right. They're, they're fantastic people, but I'd rather have, what we have in followers now not grow a single other follower and know every single person than have 20 million people that I don't even know. Because, because that's how cool our community is that we have. And um, when we start talking about this type of stuff, our connection to nature, our connection to the water, the connection to uh, the wildlife and, and really taking it in and the catalyst in which we do this, whether that be through a fly rod, a rifle, shotgun, a drift boat, a raft, a kayak, um, through the lens of a camera, even. I, I think that this touches on a lot deeper subject. And that's, you know, we go outside because it's fun. We have fun doing it and it's positive and it makes us happy. And I, I'm happy that we've had this conversation. I'm happy too. And I think that um, there are, are, for me, there are people that are going to listen to this and they're going to nod, you know, and they're going to get it. I hope that there's people that listen to this, that they, they are on the cusp of knowing what we're talking about. And they're going to have to invest a little time to do it you know these men and women that are thinking that they're they're hearing the call to be outside they're gonna have to spend more time out there to have these experiences some of them are going to be a little bit scary and guess what that's the drama of being outside and being in in nature you know it's sometimes it gets a little hairy and 
you're going to be okay. You think you know, your senses are going to kick in and it's all fine, but you're going to have to trust yourself. You're going to have to push yourself out there to do it. Just, you know, one trip is not it, man. Just, you mm -hmm. know, that's, you know, you got to get comfortable. You got to get real comfortable. And I love being around people that are real comfortable about being outside, being out mm -hmm. in the outdoors. I just love being around those people met, you know, both men and women. And I love seeing it when I see a, a, a young child that has been taught that it's so, you know, they know how to be around a campfire at a young age. Freaking love that. Mm -hmm. You know, I applaud those parents. Yeah. So That's if not, important. If, yeah, if nothing else from this whole thing, I just hope that there's somebody that hears this podcast and goes, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm going to put, I'm going to try a little harder. I'm not going to be afraid. I realize it's it's a progress. They're yeah. going to be better for it. They will, you know. So, and John, thank you for protecting our freedom. Oh, dude, I don't even know what to say to that, but you're welcome. <laughs> really appreciate it. My, my my biggest regret is not fighting for our country. Dude, you so. know one of the one of the things I tell people because you hear that a lot as a veteran. You know you you hear that. A lot, a lot, a lot. And I know we're trying to wrap this up and I'm running my mouth, but um, if you don't have anything back home worth fighting for, then what's the point in fighting? So it takes people like you, Jordan, back on the home front to make it worth fighting for. So don't ever, I wouldn't regret it because it takes two to tango, sir. Well, I'll pass that on to my kids. Thank you. So uh, before we wrap up here, uh, where can people get in touch with you? Uh, if they want to talk fishing, uh, oh. your, your beautiful rods that you make. Uh, J you know. Yeah. Okay. So JP Ross fly rods, will get you there. Small stream fly fishing. will get you there. Small stream fly rods. They all take you to the same place. So whatever you grab onto. We'll get you there. So excellent. Love John, to talk about it. I yeah. love people to call, by the way. I, oh, you I, like the phone call? I do. I love here. I love talking to people. I, I mean, you can tell probably from this podcast, right? Like I usually <laughs> I usually dig in, you know, I dig in a little deeper than normal. So get ready. That's okay. John, you got anything else to add? uh no dude just really thanks so much honestly this has been very enjoyable um kind of a break from the norm too that this is not ex at all how i was expecting it to go but i'm glad it went this direction and uh it's been i look forward to many more conversations like this dude so a pleasure thanks. a pleasure Love to, you guys have an open you got an open invitation up here i know pogo said the same thing for you if you want to come up to the adirondacks just just say it just give me a little time because I got some young kids, but yeah. I'll take care of you. Okay. Oh, dude, I, that's that's on my list is to go fish with Mark Usick. So we all got to get together uh, now. Well, there's two Mark Usicks, by the way. You're going to have to, <laughs> you got to experience the other one that I have. I'll tell you, <laughs> tell you more about that on another podcast. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Probably a good closing remark. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you again, uh, JP, uh, for being on here. And uh, for all of our listeners out there, please do go check out JP Ross Fly Rods. Uh, he makes some beautiful rods, has beautiful products. Obviously, um, give him a call. Don't, don't just go to his website. Give him a call. You got to talk to this guy in person like we have. It's just a, such a pleasure and a treat for us and uh, to have somebody uh, with with this, this, this depth of thought, it's really an incredible thing. Um, but for the rest of everybody else, we want to say thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting us so well. Uh, we're raging into this second year very strongly. We want to say thank you to everybody that's been out there supporting us on YouTube and TikTok. Uh, all of our wonderful podcast listeners, we've been just having stacks of listens lately. Um, you guys are awesome. We, we love it. Please uh, feel free to reach out to us at workingclassfish at gmail.com. And if you don't like to do the good old school email thing, I'm not giving you my phone number. Maybe John will give you his phone number. 
Uh, but you can also reach us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, not Twitter, Go Wild, and TikTok. So you can find us on all of those. You can watch our fun little videos with the fun music. Uh, you can go watch uh, John's latest video with the speedboat guard. That was pretty cool. And uh, make sure that you drop us a line, uh, give us a shout, and let us know who you are. And if you want to come on here, hit up that email I gave you. But until next time, thank you so much for listening. Hope everybody has a great day. Oh, real quick. This episode was brought to you by Troutlander Nets, Max and Outfitters, Lift. Our newest sponsor is Angry Rooster Fly Co. That is Rocky Phillips. Uh, he's out of uh, Central Texas. He's running his own thing. He's got a bunch of hackle, Norvice, a lot of really cool tools. He's uh, sent us three codes for you guys to use if you'd like to pick up some materials or just anything like that. And uh, just everybody, thanks for listening. Awesome. Check out our sponsors. Thank you so much for listening. Hope everybody has a great day.